0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paula Girl Show. We'll be here until 5 o'clock this afternoon. Hope everyone's enjoying their Saturday and their weekend. Uh, today in studio, we have an interview. Uh, Director of Human Resources and founder of Amitra Terceda in Pawtucket, Victor Santos, is with us. We will be discussing um, uh, his life, uh, Human Resources, Amitra uh, Terceda which is a community center in Pawtucket, and then uh, some uh, Portuguese uh, cultural uh, you know, food, music, and whatnot, just to try and educate the community on our culture. So, Mr. Santos, thank you for coming in today. Thank you.
1: I appreciate the invite. It's a pleasure to be here for the first time. I've been in a lot of radio, but never in Attleboro, so I'm very delighted to be here, and thank you for the invitation, and I hope that during our discourse here that uh, people can get a little more information, some more education in our Portuguese culture, and I hope I can contribute in some way to enlighten our Portuguese Americans or those interested in our Portuguese culture and human resources to uh, to listen in. And I don't know if they call in, if this is the type of cr- program yeah, that people can call it, and ask questions. I don't some know. Some do, yeah. Some can That'll call be great.
0: in. If they can call in, it's 508 222 1320. Or they always can send us an email at paulo, P A U L O, at w-a-r-a-radio.com. Or feel free to send us a message on Facebook. Um, if Facebook message is easier, you can message the show uh, through that as well. That's great. So, uh, for some of our listeners, um, exactly. So, obviously, you're f- you're actually from the same island my father is from, Terceira, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, in the Azores. You know, it's amazing. Some of my friends have no clue what the Azores are where they're located.
1: Okay. Well, when I uh, I was born in uh, in Terceira, Azores, and most Americans. Um, uh, no t- some Americans, know terceira, because we have one of the largest American Air Force bases there. That is in Lages, where we use it for our airport, and that's the village where my wife was born. Uh, and my daughter's there now living near the base. Uh, she went there in August and is coming back next month, but we'll talk about why she's there later on. But, uh, Terceira is one of nine islands of the Azores. The Azores, a lot of people are discovering the Azores now. It's right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It's only four and a half hours, uh, flight from Boston to Ponta Delgada, San Miguel, which is the largest island. Um, nine beautiful islands, very tropical, um, the winters there um, is like uh, sweater sweater type uh, winter, uh, no heavy coats, no no snow, uh, but it does get a little foggy and rain and a little dismal, but uh, gorgeous gorgeous water um not uh, i don't see smokestacks i don't see pollution beautiful uh, pastures uh, the biggest uh, the the economic engine there of course is dairy products so a lot of cows we always say we have more cows than people <laughs> um but uh, not a big not a, a gigantic islands the largest island San miguel uh has about 120,000 people and i don't think the rest together Probably equal 100,000, so probably 220, 230,000 people between the nine islands. The smallest one, which is Corvo, is about 360 people. It has a little airport, um, but uh, the Azores of today is not the Azores that I left uh, 49 years ago. Um, it re- really has evolved economically, and of course, tourism, people are, once they once you go once, you, you get hooked. You're back there every year. That's the case of my daughters that go two and three times a year. Uh, it's a wonderful place to rest, good food. Every island of the nine has its own characteristics. They're all known for something uh, unique in our island of Terceira, we're known for our festivals. We're very festive people. We have bull runs that uh, that occur from uh, May one to October fifteenth. About two hundred and fifty of them. Uh, every village has a festival of some sort of their patron saint. Uh, Then the two uh, the two cities of the island, which is Angra and uh, Praia, they have their big festival. Uh, Angra has its in June for Saint John, and then the first week of August is in Praia. So that's a huge tourist attraction. And of course, all year round, uh, we're known as uh, when people say the Azores, they say there are nine island. uh, There are actually eight islands in one amusement park, and they call us the amusement park. Because we have a reputation of uh, being too festive, that we we like to party more than we like to work. Well, oh well, <laughs> uh, too bad. Uh, and then, of course, in um, in uh, Mardi Gras, that is huge. That's a four-day festival, which we also continue that tradition here. That we can talk more about later. So. All year round, there's something going on as far as a festival, a feast of some sort in the island of Terceira. That's what we're known for. Uh, good cuisine, uh, good wine, uh, but I'd have to say that it's the festivals, the feasts. Of course, Terceira is probably one of the most historical of the nine because uh, Terceira, when um, Spain invaded Portugal, Terceira was actually Portugal for three years by itself, uh, so, there's a lot of uh, history of monarchs uh, having resided there. Uh, Paul da Gama, which is Vasco da Gama's brother, is actually buried in Terceira. He got sick uh, coming to, uh, uh, on a voyage and died there and he's buried in Terceira. Uh, the biggest fort in Europe, uh, which was built uh, by the Spanish, is in Terceira, around the mountain of Mount Brazil. So there's a lot of history, a beautiful museum there with a lot of history. Um, The city of Angra, of heroism, Angra means like a horseshoe in the bay. Uh, So it means a bay of heroism uh, is the name of the city. And um, there is... um, it is classified under UNESCO and the United Nations as a historical uh, site. So, uh, after the earthquake of 1980, which was on New Year's Day of 1980, which caused the death of about 56 people in Terceira, the city uh, was demolished a great deal uh, because of the construction of the of the houses, which is stone upon stone. So, when the when the earth started rocking, uh, most of that came down. And so uh, everything was preserved back to its natural state. And, and uh, for you to change the color of your house or, 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 or do any type of pavement has to go before the city council because everything has to be preserved as it used to be. So uh, very pretty. That is where Terceda the Cathedral of the Azores, is. That's where the bishop resides. Uh, which is another tourist attraction, and we're talking about islands that were discovered in the 1400s, so these these islands are over 500 years old, so a lot of history there.
0: Absolutely. Folks, we're in studio with Victor Santos, who is the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence, as well as uh, the founder of Amiga Terceda and Pawtucket. We're going to take a quick break, and we we get back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, his experience immigrating to the United States, uh, we'll get into human resources and more of the Portuguese culture. So stick around, we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paul Sarguero Show. We will be here until 5 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, today's guest is Victor Santos, who is the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence. Also a uh, singer, founder of the uh, Mija Traceda, uh, comedian, does a lot for the Portuguese-American community and the community as a whole. Uh, Mr. Santos, one thing I wanted to talk about, obviously, um, you immigrating to the U.S. 49 years ago, you said. Uh, Could you tell us a little about how old were you when you came to the U.S., and maybe what your thoughts were, why your family came to the Mm -hmm. U.S. to begin with?
1: Sure. In 1970, when I came, I was eight years old. My sister was four. We came with my grandparents and my parents. Just to give you a little scenario, of what the Azores were like in 1970. We were under a dictatorship, had the same president for the last 40 years governing Portugal, and there was a secret political police uh, which when we got to the island of Santa Maria to come to the United States on June 20th, my father was arrested by the secret police for not paying a certain military tax. Um, the, uh, The atmosphere was such, that my father called somebody that we knew in Terceira, and that person went to bribe a government official. And then about two hours later, the secret police got a call to let my father go, and the plane was just waiting for us to come to the United States. So that was the the scene uh, back then, Um, dictatorship, censorship, You could not uh, write what you wanted. You could not express yourself in the art world. You could not talk about the government. The government was very, very much associated with the Catholic Church. Most of the priests informed the government if they heard anything about the government from parishioners. Basically, people would do whatever the priest of the town would say for them to do. Um, There were elections, but only one guy ran every year. And if you opposed them, you'd probably find yourself in a ditch someplace. Uh, So in 1974, so we immigrated to Pawtucket, Rhode Island in 1970. I was eight. I did not know a word of English. Uh, I was beat up in school. I did not go through ESL. Um, I was eight years old. They put me in kindergarten, so I was the tallest of my class. Uh, I had no clue what they were talking about. Um, And then uh, when we went to uh, one of my—we went to live in my uncle's home that brought us here, my mom's brother. Um, And we went to the third floor, and there was someone on the second who was a teacher uh, whose grandparents had immigrated here from Fayal and she took it upon herself to tutor me, and then I, I, I st- skipped a couple of grades, uh, but I was always behind at least one year uh, from my classmates, so I was always uh, older than my classmates in class, but I'm proud that I was the first one of my family to go beyond the fourth grade of school. It was a big deal for my parents when I graduated from high school, and then of course when I graduated from college, that was my dad's dream. Uh, to come to this country and to educate his kids. Um, my three, my two siblings, my two uh, sisters. We both were all three college graduates. My dad worked in the mill. My mom worked in the mill, uh, like a typical immigrant in the 70s. That's what we did. Uh, but always made sure that if we ever got part-time jobs, I was very fortunate to have a father that said first is culture and family and church. So if you get a part-time job, you're going to work Monday through Friday, but you're not going to work on weekends because weekends is for family, church, and culture. And so at a very young age, when I was 10, uh, he wanted me to play the accordion, and so I started with the accordion. I now play basic guitar. I also play the 15-string guitar called the viola from Terceda. And uh, in 77, he founded a folklore group, which today I'm the president of, and it's still going on 42 years later. Um... And my parents are still alive. And uh, when I was 21 and my sister was 18, we had another sister. Um, my father was 50. My mom was 45. <laughs> so that was quite a surprise. Uh, today, uh, she works at Dean College, has three little kids. And my grandpa- my parents still live to see them. And so we're very blessed uh, with that. Um, so uh, then in 19... Um, 77, I started getting involved in singing in our culture. My dad was a co-founder of a Holy Ghost Society at St. Anthony's Church in Pawtucket, which is still my parish, 49 years later, and I started singing in the choir, was a lector, was a CCD teacher, and I started writing music and writing songs. 1981. I started singing publicly as a debate singer in the country of Zafi, and I've been doing that ever since, and um, then started writing skits for Mardi Gras, for Carnaval, which is all in verse, uh, started getting involved in Carnaval and actually organized Carnaval for about 20 years. Um, and so always been involved in our culture. Married my wife in 1985. We courted uh, the old-fashioned Portuguese way for seven years. And we have two daughters, Chelsea and Tanya. And uh, I was blessed that my wife uh, accompanied me. She was part of the folklore group back then. That's how we met in 1979. Uh, we were 17 and uh, we got married uh, in nineteen eighty five and were the only boyfriend girlfriend we had and so uh still I'm blessed to have her. She's my rock and um I had a wife that always supported my cultural endeavors, my business endeavors and uh, and I was very blessed because sometimes uh, guys want to do stuff and and have a girlfriend or a wife that uh you know gives them a hassle and why are you doing that and why are you get involved in that and and then it's not good i've been blessed that that didn't happen to me my daughters kind of took our footsteps and are very involved in our portuguese culture today although they were born here i have uh, chelsea who's a, a barber who is in portugal in the azores and Terceira, as we speak she's been here since august she uh, is barbering over there. She's working at her career. She um, does workshops for other barbers. She's going to the mainland to take courses, and she wants to come back and to the states and open her own business—not uh, just a barbershop, but something and uh, something very European which I will let her say it when she comes back. And my older daughter uh, graduated from Johnson Wales University, and she is the manager of our restaurant, which we own in Pawtucket, called Galito now for the last three years. So uh, I've been blessed. uh, Chelsea plays five instruments, still involved in the folklore. The oldest is more of the singer in the family. Uh, They're doing a Mardi Gras group this year, uh, the two sisters dad's doing another one for me uh, so um, very culturally active family
0: that's amazing mm-hmm. now w- when you were when you're immigrating to America I know you said you were eight years old c- do you st- can you still remember the first night in America laying down kind of what your thoughts were was it c- did you have the realization like we just moved away from our country what were your thoughts that first well
1: night? at eight years old uh, you still think you're in Disneyland that you this is a dream Um, Everything looked gigantic. Uh, The cars looked huge. We had never seen a television set. I I remember uh, vividly one of the first things I saw on TV was the prisoners of war from Vietnam coming home. Uh, Of course, a black and white TV with two big huge antennas. Um, I remember my first Christmas, my dad went to buy a silver tree uh, and bought it already decorated exactly how it was as a model. Well, if I told you that 49 years later, she he still has the same tree, uh, you wouldn't believe it, but she does. No kidding. My mom still has the same tree that we had 49 years ago, and Christmas Day is still spent in my parents' house. Um, we bought our first house in 72. When my dad bought his 62 Buick, Uh, I thought that was like an apartment. It was huge. Um, So I thought everything was big. I'll tell you a little story. On Sunday, uh, our trips were to go watch mom work at a mill uh, because she works Sundays. And so my dad would take us to Crescent Park in the afternoon. Crescent Park was in East Providence. And, um, And we would go by the mill and watch my mom in the basement working on a knitting mill on School Street in Pawtucket. Well, I found myself uh, 15 years later being the HR director in that same mill complex. Wow. And as I walked in that crowd, I always looked up to that window and saw myself as a little kid looking down at my mother. Um, but those first weeks, I still remember that I thought I was dreaming that this was a fantasy uh, because we always saw the movies back home of how America was the biggest and brightest and the best and we had everything and then I remember how we used to uh, th- think of everything as a wow like uh, going to the market and watching and seeing fruit that we would only eat there in certain seasons and over here here it is uh, winter time and we're eating apples and stuff that we would not do in the winter over there and um, and to, to furnish our refrigerator full of stuff. It was so bad, we would take pictures of our refrigerator and our freezer to send back home to, so that we could show our relatives uh, how, how abundant the United States was. Look at us, look at all this stuff that we couldn't afford back home. We would send uh, little cassettes back to my grandmother, my father's mother and sister, uh, and we would talk to them and explain all the different things that were going on. Like when my mom got her license to drive a car, we didn't. My father drove a bicycle in Portugal. We didn't have a car um but that was a big deal when my mom and and of course back home they couldn't believe that my mom was going to drive a car in the united states i mean things today that you know we take for granted but in 1970 it was it was huge it was huge i remember telling my grandfather who lived with us and my grandparents my parent my mom's parents always lived with us and um remember telling my grandfather that these kids were beating me up because I wasn't uh, uh, that I was a greenhorn that I was an immigrant that I didn't speak the language and my grandfather says well tomorrow I'm going to take a big stick and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to beat them up and I remember my uncle says don't you dare Uh, you're going to go to jail you can't hit people here in the states and stuff like that Um, so these are all these are all stories I have so many stories I could be here for days so many stories to 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 talk about um but the abundance um, i think that for you to appreciate the united states you have to leave the united states you have to go to another country spend two or three months and and you come back and you kiss this wonderful ground of this country because so many people take it for granted. I get so saddened when I see the the results of elections in this country, be it local, uh, state, uh, federal, where, you know, 60% of the population didn't vote. Uh, you see a, a city of uh, 70,000, 80,000 people and 5,000 went to vote. Well, people don't know what it's like not to be able to vote. And if they realize the importance of that, they would go out to vote. I I hear the most stupid, pardon the the term, excuses. I didn't go vote because uh, I was too busy. It was raining. It was too cold. Uh, Why vote for They're all the same. I hear all these things, and I start laughing because you don't know what it's like to have the same president for 40 years we have them for eight, and sometimes we think it's too long. Imagine forty. Um, you know, uh, politicians love it when you don't vote, because then that means they, there's no interest, and they can do whatever you want. They want. So uh, uh, I like to write. I, I'm a poet. I like to write poetry. I write theater. Uh, can you imagine? I could not imagine taking my stuff to a censorship and have it redlined. Imagine in this country somebody saying, "Uh, Paul, you can't say this on the radio, you can't Mm -hmm. say that on the radio, don't you dare say this. Or when you leave this program, having two guys outside waiting for you, putting in this huge black car and your family not see you for a week because you said something on the radio that offended the church or offended the, the government. People don't know what that's like. That that wasn't too long ago. No. That was only 50 years ago, my friends. Uh, so it saddens me that people don't vote, that people don't care about this country. Um, and um, they care when it affects their pocket. You know, yeah. taxes are raised. Oh, my God, that's a huge deal. But uh, we see, as you know, I work in human resources for a city of uh, East Providence. You see city council meetings where huge, huge budget decisions are being made, and not one citizen goes there to talk and speak about it. And then the taxes go up, and then the, it's, a, it's a huge problem. So, well, where were you? I mean, uh, here we are. I mean, uh, city councils m- make decisions that affect people every single day, affects the lives of people every single day, be it through budget budget hearings, budget cuts, uh, ordinances. It affects our citizens every single day. It affects their lives. And yet, no one has the courage to to go to a city council meeting and stand up and say, that is wrong. What are you doing? Asking questions. No, they don't care. So um, what happens is then people don't care. Then there's abuse. There's abuse of power. um, And it's a shame. And we're seeing that in Washington right now. Absolutely. Abuse of power and people cutting corners and don't think, they think they're above the law and that they can do whatever they want. And I say, as a Portuguese-American immigrant, God bless America.
0: Absolutely. Folks, we are in studio with uh, Mr. Victor Santos, who is the founder of Amiche um as well as um, singer, poet, comedian, um, and the director of uh, human resources for the city of East Providence. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll get back into a little bit more of uh, kind of the culture, uh, his time uh, immigrating to the U.S., and then obviously Amiche Terceda and also human resources. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Polo Sargero Show. We will be here until 5 o'clock this afternoon. Today's guest is the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence, as well as the founder of Amiga Terceda over here in uh, Pawtucket. Uh, We were discussing kind of uh, Victor Santos, um, immigrating to the U.S., uh, talking a little bit about uh, his family life. Uh, One thing I was curious about before we kind of go move on a little bit, Uh, Your first time going back to Terceda, how long was it since you had immigrated to your first time going back?
1: It was two years. Uh, We were here for two years, and my dad, my mom, and my sister and I went back in 72. Uh, And uh, we looked so different in two years, how my mom was dressed, uh, my dad. uh, I remember doing my, we call it Second Communion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did it there. Um, And... I remember my father bringing like 20 white shirts to give to friends and family, and my mom bringing like 40 pairs of nylons to give to friends and family. And that's what we used to do back then. We used to bring gifts back, and people would come to your house and visit you with sugar and a bottle of moonshine or a bottle of, uh, of um, Porto. Um, uh, and you would bring, imagine today, bringing like 20 man's knives Uh, back because men used to make their own cigarettes and a little pocket knife was a big deal. So we would bring all that stuff back uh, as uh, souvenirs. uh, Thank you for coming to visit us. Uh, And we went for six weeks. I mean, imagine, uh, six weeks. Uh, My dad actually got uh, skin poison. Uh, He was uh, catching lapish uh, 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 at the beach without a shirt on, and he got really bad uh, sunburn while we were there. But the most interesting one, which was the eye-opener, was when I went back with my grandparents in 1974. The reason I would go back a lot with my grandparents is because at a young age, I learned how to give them their insulin. They were diabetics, and they never gave themselves the shot. So I I learned how to do it, and I I got a few free trips out of it. But We went back in May of 74, and the country had just gone through its revolution on April 25th, 1974, where the Salazar government uh, was overthrown by the military. What a shocker. I mean, we arrived in Lajas Air Force Base, and we were stripped naked by the military police. Uh, We couldn't bring anything in, and we couldn't bring anything out um and then when we got to the village because my grandfather at that house at that time still had his house there we start hearing this caravan of cars beeping and it was a political caravan with flags and and uh uh, microphones uh, was a political party and my god the, that was such a shock because we had never ever experienced that in our lives and seeing graffiti on the walls and seeing all these banners being put up because at that time in 1974 the united states was very very concerned that russia um, would get into Portugal because we were going through a very unstable period. You have to understand, it's like opening the jail, opening the, the bird cages and have all the sure. birds fly out. So people were not ready, were not prepared for such liberty, you know? And so everything had. We went from one extreme to the other. The Communist Party rose up. Uh, many parties, the Socialist Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were at least three major parties uh, that had a huge influence on establishing its first government. And for the first four or five years, there was like two governments a year because we weren't ready. We weren't prepared. People weren't prepared with uncensorship and, uh, and uh, liberation of the jails where people per- political prisoners were freed that week. Uh, people that had been in exile came back, like Mario Suarez who was who became president of the Republic. Uh, came back from France. He was in exile there. Uh, the head of the Communist uh, Party came back from France, all in a train that week. I mean, it, this was huge. So that was my biggest shock, seeing that kind of stuff. And then we could not bring any money back. My, fa- my grandfather sold an orchard, that he had back then, and and that he had, he was a big guy. He had He had like a size twelve slipper, and we remember taking all that cash, bringing it to a shoemaker, and he put all the cash in the heel of the of the of the slipper, and we smuggled all that money no to the United States. That's stuff that you'd see in the movies, sure, but we, we did it. And, of course, they're going through everything uh, in the luggage at the airport. And I'm looking at the slippers saying, oh, my God, if they (laughs) only knew. And, uh, you know, things like that. So these are things I'll never forget. Um, I'll never forget the the first day my mom wore pants. That was a big, big argument in my house because my dad said, no, I wear the pants in this house. (laughs) So, you know, that old school mentality. Or when she cut her bun, you know, her hair and uh, got a new hairdo, oh, my God, and when she had her own wallet because there was only one wallet in our house, and that belonged to my dad. (laughs) And uh, kids don't know that back then in the 70s uh, when you were 16, most parents, that didn't happen to me, but a lot of my colleagues had to go to work, and, and their check would be given to the family. You didn't keep your check. Your mm-hmm. check was to the family. And then when you got married, your father took care of you and bought the furniture and paid the wedding sure. reception. But you contributed to the family. And he'd give you your $10 a week for your spending money. And you'd use the family car to go see your girlfriend. And that was it. I mean, uh, this is how it used to be. Today they laugh at you. But... That's how it used to be. But, you know, we got by, and we respected each other, and people were happy. Sure. Because on Sundays, you know what we did? We'd visit. We would have dinner, and we'd go visit the aunts and uncles, and then the following week they'd come and visit us. There was no Internet. There was no texting. uh, There was no Facebook. And we actually had to look at people in the eye and and shake hands and uh, and see emotions and affection. And today uh, I feel saddened. Uh, that society today lost that human touch. Uh, We see people at funerals, and uh, funerals turn into family reunions. Uh, Oh, my God, I haven't seen you in years. Yeah, Uncle Joe had to die or else I'd never see Mm -hmm. you. Um, That's sad. We miss a lot of that. I think young kids today are missing out on that human aspect of family. Uh, Christmas is just about presents. It's not about... Visiting, it's not about spending quality time, it's all about what you get me. Oh, only I only got six gifts this year. You know, Santa was bad, I only got six. Well, when I was growing up in Portugal, I used to get a pair of underwear and a chocolate, and uh, we thought that was that was huge. So, um, I'm now going off on a tantrum here, but no, no, it's fine. um, um, that's those are some of my experiences that I'll never forget.
0: The, uh, no, I agree with the communication. There was in the, I have a great example of this. When I went to um, Saint Michael, <clears throat> excuse me, my my uh, my mother's side is from of Kofwada. Cov- uh, so right next to Helva, mm-hmm. and uh, we're there. You know, I went by myself. That might have been the first time I was by myself. I think. And there was a little boy, this is something I have I have never in my life seen in America, but in, Port- but in Portugal it was perfectly fine, because it's not weird, going off of communicating with one another. There was a little boy who had a cup, uh, like a mug in his hand, and would walk to the next house, knock on the door, and say, do you have any milk? We ran out. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you sometimes you don't even know who your neighbor is. No, Just no, no, like,
1: they die, and you don't even know they died. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, everybody's to themselves. Um uh, like like for example today i was leaving the market to go get a few things and there's two two uh, boy and a girl maybe seven years old she had a beautiful uh, headpiece with a big flower and i said oh look at you you look so pretty look at that flower and the mother kind of took her cart and kind of shoved it aside like don't talk to him don't, don't you know, he's a stranger, yeah. Uh, not even oh, thank you, oh, a smile, nothing like I was some kind of a weirdo yeah. for paying a compliment to a little girl. I mean, it's so sad. We've we we don't communicate, we don't talk, and if we do, uh, some people hide behind Facebook and behind a computer yeah. because they don't have the courage to tell yeah. something to their face. Um, it's a sad world. I am so glad I am 57 years old. I wouldn't want to be seven again. I'm um, so glad I lived the years I have, and um, I wouldn't want to be younger. I'm, I'm totally happy with my age, because you know what we used to have when we were small, and people my age probably think the same? We had hope. Yeah. Uh, we had hope, and what do these seven- and eight-year-olds' kids today are hopeful for? I, I have no idea. What is there to wish for today? Sure. Uh, we had hope. The only thing I remember being a kid and being scared of was communists. Because it was embedded in us that Russia was bad and communists made to come over. And in Portugal, of course, we had the uh, Our Lady of Fatima thing, yeah. the conversion of Russia, which we live to see. Uh, and that's the only thing. I never heard the word terrorism. I never heard of that word until I came here. Um, and only maybe till 9-11. I, we never heard of terrorism. But what do these kids have to look forward to? We had hope, and I don't see a lot of hope this, this, the, this, this, and this day and age. Uh, people don't care. We see more. I, I don't remember in the '70s seeing homeless people. Yeah. I don't remember they maybe existed, but I don't remember seeing them. I didn't see people panhandling in the United States in 1970. Look at us today. So we evolved. We grew. But how? How did we do that? If today we have more and more people in poverty, we have more and more people panhandling, we have more and more people homeless, so did we grow as a nation? We have more and more people in debt, in student debt. We have people that can't afford a home. Uh, I mean, so we grew in in, in, in what? How did we grow?
0: (laughs) Well, it's interesting you say that because I interned at the Massachusetts State House uh, my last Summer before finishing my my bachelor's, and it's funny because if you watch a movie that has that Boston Commons there, the State mm-hmm. House, it's always like this nice land, these trees, right. and I always tell people, that's not what it looks like." <laughs> they go, "What do you mean?" I go, "It's a whole. That's a huge homeless community, yeah, right in front of the State House." So we have the biggest country
1: at- in the world, the wealthiest country in the world that takes less care of its senior citizens than any country in the world. I have to say that Portugal, compared to the United States, is like a a, a crumb, Uh, and yet our seniors are much better taken care of there than they are here. Uh, uh, um, Medicine-wise, people going to their homes to fix their homes, to bring them food, meals on wheels, take their laundry, uh, sending them on trips. I mean, in this country, there are people that can't live with their Social Security pensions. If they don't go to a high rise, they can't afford their homes. They have to leave their homes. And when a senior citizen leaves their home, it's like the kiss of death. It's a matter of time. They left their surroundings. Uh, Depression kicks in. They see no hope. And, and death is what the only thing they're looking for, uh, looking towards. And, and what do you do in a nursing home? You look around and say, okay, yeah. who's going to die tomorrow? Uh, so it's very saddened. Uh, all we see is these huge boxes of elderly people, these high rises, and you know there's no hope there. You don't see young people visiting. Oh, yeah, Christmas time. Uh, I always say to a lot of American folks that uh, people only think there are people in, uh, that are in need at Thanksgiving week. Yeah. yeah Thanksgiving week, you see the baskets, the uh, Christmas time, people go carolling to the nursing home and then 11 months go by, they never see them again. Uh, I'm surprised uh, someone hasn't called and told me to shut up yet. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> or, worries Or disagrees with <laughs> my views, uh, but uh, I'm a little bit opinionated. I've been around a little bit and seen a lot. and like I was saying, you have to value the United to value this country where you are. You have to leave it and come back, and you'll see it in a totally different light how blessed we are, so many things we have in this country that people don't take advantage of and don't appreciate. Absolutely.
0: Folks, we're in studio with Victor Santos, who is the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence, as well as the founder of Amitra Terceda. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk more about human resources. We'll kind of change the conversation a little bit and then go on to more of uh, the Community Center Amitra Terceda. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are uh, here at the Paul Sauguero Show. We will be here until five o'clock this afternoon. Uh, today's guest is the director of human resources for the City of East Providence, as well as the founder of Amish Triseta, uh, Mr. Victor Santos. Um, as we transition this conversation, I was just curious, um, kind of what what, what did uh, what kind of occupation did uh, your father or mother have uh, in Trasada before you guys came to America? My
1: my dad worked in the city at a counter of a. Not a drugstore, but sold perfumes and sold some chemicals and mixed paints. I don't wear, I don't know what you would call that here. But he had a little decent job. You know, didn't pay much, but he'd sure. wear a little tie to work. And my mom was domestic. He, she only worked in my grandfather's store. A store back then was like a general store here mm-hmm. in the 20s and 30s. They sold a little bit of everything and so he had a store in our village my grandfather and my mom meant, uh, tended to that store and my grandfather and his gran and his parents uh they were involved big time in orchards with fruit okay and they would sell fruit uh, around the island in a little um A mule cart, and he would go around the 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 island and do trades. So he would give somebody oranges, and they would give him corn, and he would sell the corn at the store, or potatoes, or or onions, and. He was a very very uh, smart business guy. He kind of had a sense of when there was going to be a shortage of certain things and he started to accumulate that stuff and then before you know it in the island, there would be no onions but, uh, but Louis store louis Anastasio's store had onions He had, had a he had a vision. He knew uh, that there was supply and demand. He knew sure. when there was going to be a demand. So that was my grandfather. If I was there, uh, I I only had the second grade of education in Mm -hmm. in Portugal. I read and write fluently Portuguese, but I only had the second grade. And the reason why I still do it is because I constantly wrote back, wrote back. My father would instill in us to write back to my grandmother and to my aunts. And that's why I kept the Portuguese. Um, But if I was there, I would probably see myself today involved in some sort of political... Um, position, either as a delegate in the Azurian parliament or working for a city uh, of some sort. Uh, Because of my cultural involvement and my personality, I think that's what I would have, what I've probably ended up doing. Sure. And probably would be retired already today (laughs) because over there it's based on years of service, so... You put 30 years in. I mean, you start at 20, you put 30 years in, you can go home at 50. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a cousin who's 60. He retired about eight years ago from the military. Um, so I think that's where I would have ended up. Um, Interesting. Uh, you also do uh, some
0: uh, comedy. How did your comedic career uh, yeah. start off? How did it Well,
1: when I was seven years old, I started getting involved in theater with my father back in Portugal and um the day i was born my father says that there was a taxi cab waiting for me to be born i was born at home and uh, my dad had to go do a show a theater at one of the villages and if my dad didn't go the show wouldn't go on because he had a major part and um as a matter of fact this august uh, a friend of his that uh, was in that play the day i was born gave me the script that was uh, uh, written by my dad wow. and uh, and I brought it back and gave it to my father, uh, you know, uh, 57 years later. Wow, that's incredible. And my dad, if I had given my dad a million dollars, he wouldn't have been as happy as seeing that and he cried. So after I was born, the taxi took my dad and brought him to that village for him to do the show. So this started, I guess, (laughs) I was already, the day I was born, already started the theater stuff. So I started doing comedy because my dad was very comical when he was growing up. And I remember at a very young age, he would tell jokes. And so I think I got it from him. And people always, to this day, he's 85, and even going through dialysis, he still jokes around. Anytime people come to the house, he always has something funny to say. So I think I got that from him. Uh, I could tell you a few Portuguese-American jokes for people to have a laugh. Uh, So this uh, Portuguese couple, Portuguese-American couple, are are heading home back to Fall River. The state police um, stops them, and uh, he says, uh, Sir... Um I notice uh, that you were speeding. Uh, do you know how uh, how fast you were going? And the Portuguese guy looks at the cop and says, "Oh, Mr. policeman, I think I go 70." The wife goes, "Uh uh uh, uh 70. You know go 70, you go 85." <laughs> I tell you, "Joe, Joe, go slow, go slow. You keep driving fast. I knew it, I knew it." Oh, God, the guy gets so upset. He looks at her with those big eyes like, shut up, lady, you know. He says, oh, uh, sir, I noticed that you don't have your seat belt on. Uh, he goes, oh, I'm sorry, policeman. See, I take the I take the seat belt off when I go get the registration uh, to give you the registration. That's why I took the seat belt off. The wife goes, uh, 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 no way. I tell you all the time, Joe, put the seat belt, put the seat belt. You say, shut up, shut up. You never put the seatbelt. Now you tell the policeman you have the seatbelt. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's getting so upset because the wife is contradicting him. And then the cop comes back and says, uh, uh, officer, I mean, uh, sir, uh, I noticed when I went to check your registration that the uh, light bulb on the passenger side was off. He says, oh, really? Oh, sorry, Mr. Policeman. I don't know that. The wife says, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh. oh, my God, you know the, know that. I told you two weeks ago, I said, Joe, the light bulb is off. You said, shut up, none of your business. Now the policeman, you make believe you don't know. Oh, my God. Oh, that's it. He just had it. He starts hollering at the wife. How dare you embarrass me in front of the policeman. He's really shouting. So the cop looks at her and says, ma'am. Does he always treat you like this? She says, no, only when he's drunk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> On top of everything else. Was oh, that cute? <laughs> That's good. Okay. Yeah, I used to love hearing, um, you know, I know the Portuguese kids, they do uh, some skits, too, out there. But even uh, Dinesh Paiva, my family was always pretty funny, too. They'd always do... Um, I don't know, just like little things. Like we'd say, um, like my grandma, I'd always, you know, if she said thank you, whatever, I'd be like oh you're welcome, mm-hmm. and she's like you walk, don't cause de boy. And I was like okay. <laughs> you say, you tell her, like my brother, like shut up, and she's like shut up. No, no one's sick over here. <laughs> <laughs> things like that all the time. But uh, but yeah, my uh, yeah. my uncle in Portugal was one that was always he um, was more sarcastic. So like so my family uh, were goat farmers in Portugal. My great-grandfather was a he had you know, hundreds or whatever. Now, my uncle, I say uncle, he's my great-uncle, my mother's uncle, and uh, he has about maybe 20, 25, not as large, but he mm-hmm. still has, he still keeps, it. he does it more because he always says, like, his Tradition. father did it, so he doesn't want to leave it, he doesn't uh-huh. want to sell everything, he still wants to keep it. And uh, there were days we'd have, um, like, the cans of milk or whatever, and yeah. we'd walk up, and then little comments, like, his wife would be like, what is that in your hands? He's like, my nails, my fingers. What are you asking? Woman? <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. little comments like that I always found uh, hilarious. And, and it's good to still see uh, these traditions happening in uh, America. But I know we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, human resources. Could, sure. So could you tell a little bit about, uh, I'm curious to uh, kind of what your first job was in America and mm-hmm. then how you got into human resources. Sure.
1: Well, my first real job was a waiter. Uh, when I was like 16 years old at a Portuguese restaurant called Chaves, which is now Serra de Estrello in Cumberland. Sure. Um, and then I worked uh, part time, always part time at uh, Burger Chef, which is now the Burger King on Lonsdale Avenue in Central Falls. And then I started as a floor boy at International Packaging in 1979. Uh, went through high school and college while working there part-time, and left there in 1997 as their corporate HR director. So I've been in HR since college, since 1985, so it's a long time, Um, 35 years. I I love HR, um, human resources, because it's about people. It's about helping people, facilitating uh, their work life creating environments for them to be happy at work Uh, most people spend more time at work than they do at home so we need to make sure that we provide a hostile free uh, pleasant safe working environment i always also got involved in safety at a very young uh, time in my career so safety was always part of the job as well because most companies could not afford a separate safety person and workers' comp person, so I was the HR in workers' comp and safety. Um, So I have about 25 years of safety experience. Uh, But uh, why am I still in HR? Because I love helping people. I love watching uh, people grow. Uh, It gives me great satisfaction to see someone that I hired as a laborer or a janitor, and three years later they're the supervisor of the department, and they grew uh, or they're a director or something. That really gives me a high. That gives me uh, pleasure in knowing that I had faith in that person, that I took a leap of faith, and that person grew and grew with it and ran with it. Uh, um, so that's why I'm in HR. In order to be in human resources, you got to have a knack. you got to be a human person. you got to have feelings. You are the conscience of the organization. You make hard decisions every day. Uh, you're going to please some people. You're going to unplease others. Um, when people ask me if I'm pro-union or if I'm pro-management, uh, I always say I'm pro-justice because unions are not always right. Uh, Management is not always right. you got to do what is the right thing. What's the right thing for the person and the organization? There is a happy medium. There is a balance. Uh, It's got to have a give and take. Uh, We can all have our cake and eat it. Uh, we have to understand uh, that we work for an employer. He's not there or she's not there to lose money. They're there to make a profit. Sure. Um, and if and you know what's great about this country? You can be an employer, too, and make the same profit if you want to. So exactly. <laughs> that's a great thing. So uh, no one's going to stop you. You've got to take that risk. But you have to respect them as the owners of the corporation or as your boss. You cannot just say what you want, do what you want, disrespect people. Uh, because you can't do that. Uh, luckily for us in HR, uh, these days there are laws that I think cover everything. Uh, you can't say this, you can't do that, and you can't ask this question on an interview, and you can't discriminate for people's sexual orientation, and there's hostile work environment, and there's sexual harassment, and the, there's a law that comes out every every week. Uh, so you got to stay on top of that um and sometimes there's abuses and that's where hr comes in and you got to tell somebody higher up than you that look no what you said is wrong and you got to apologize or you got to be reprimanded for it because it's illegal and it could cost the organization money and so this is all the stuff and then there's the benefits that we take care of for people and make sure that they have health care and make sure they get a pension and so there's a lot of things that human resources do we recruitment that's huge uh, where we're looking for talent, uh, interview panels, um, personnel hearing boards, uh, budgets, IT. Uh, this is all involved in HR. So uh, I still like it I still enjoy going to work. I never think I'm going to a job when I'm doing my thing. I, I never think it's a job. I always think it's as a career and that's, it's just who I am and what I'm part of. And I hope I've made a positive difference in the organizations that I've, uh, that I've been in. Uh, always try to do my very best and uh, produce a positive, welcoming, uh, hostile, friendly working environment for my employees.
0: Absolutely. Folks, we're in studio with uh, Mr. Victor Santos, the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence, as well as uh, the founder of Amiga Terceda. We're going to take a quick break. And then after the top of the hour break, I'm going to see if I can find a, a Portuguese song or a traditional one uh, as to lead us back into our conversation. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paula Sargero Show. Uh, Coming in back from our break, that was Amalia Rodriguez, who is one of the uh, most, I would probably say probably one of the most famous Portuguese singers, maybe even international singers as well. Um, And the thing, I've I've done a segment before on Fado, and it's so unique to, it's like its own genre. That's why I really enjoy it. And uh, so she was one of the most famous uh, fadistas. And uh, uh, Mr. S- Mr. Santos, have you ever um, been to Lisbon to that the museum, the Amalia Rodriguez Museum or I've anything? N- I've
1: been to Lisbon t- uh, three times. I've never been to the Amalia Museum. She died in 99. Uh, she was a freaking flyer to the United States because she was suffering from cancer and would come to Boston for treatments all the time. Kind of kept that always hush hush. Sure. Uh, but she is buried in the uh, uh, where kings and, 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 and very famous Portuguese people are buried. Uh, she was definitely the diva, the, the queen of Fado. Uh, Fado is very uh, similar to our blues of the United States, it's our national song. Uh, usually women uh, back then, when they sang Fado, they wore a black uh, dress or a black shawl. Uh, Fado tended to be very somber, kind of sad, um, so uh, Amalia really uh, spread uh, Fado around the world and was like an ambassador of Portugal sure. all over the world, so when she died, Portugal lost uh, an ambassador and uh, had a great voice um, she did a couple of american movies as well uh singing in the uh in the movies and um uh, and we at amig's at slater still continue the tradition of fado just like we do at our local restaurants we still once in a while have fado music uh, uh, being performed uh, in our community Absolutely. Now, de Treseda and
0: um, the restaurant you own, Galito, uh, if someone wanted to see these traditions live in person, uh, how can they uh, visit? Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about more de Treseda, but sure. just for our listeners now, maybe, they, maybe if they're, they're leaving or they're just hearing us, where can where are these de uh, Treseda located as uh-huh. well as the Galito restaurant?
1: So Amigos, the a community center of de Treseda was founded by myself in 1988. Uh, It started out as a way for people from Terceda to get together once a year, do a charity, uh, get together, a fundraiser, send some money back to some orphanages in Terceda, keep some money here in case someone from Terceda was in need. Uh, And I never in my wildest dreams ever thought that this organization, 31 years later, would uh, give out over a million dollars in charity, have a community center in Pawtucket, Rhode Island on Memorial Drive near McCoy Stadium that is really uh, uh, a... I should say, a show place uh, for our community, beautiful hall, a library, a senior citizens group, a theater group, a Mardi Gras group, a uh, kitchen, a restaurant. Um, uh, it's really, uh, it's head off so much. It's done so much culturally. We maintain our traditions there. Uh, we have our Holy Ghost Feast. We have our St. Vincent de Paul Feast in September, where we do parades that are very traditional, We have Fado. We have Contrilla. I can't say monthly, but every other month or so. And, of course, during the feast, a lot of Contrilla. We actually, in May, have a Fado gala night on a Friday night where we uh, play tribute to nine Azurians of the community. Uh, I mean, it just really took off. And today we have over 600 members. Uh, Very proud of the charity work we do and the culture that we preserve. At Galito... A restaurant, which is in Pawtucket and on Columbus Ave, very close to the center. Uh, We also have uh, live Portuguese music on Saturday nights. Uh, We will have debate singing there on uh, December 9th in the evening, which is a Monday night. And once in a while, I have debate singing Cantor e there as well, as well as Fad. So try to maintain the culture alive in my own private business. Uh, and, of course, the cuisine. you got to have the cuisine. Without the Portuguese food, uh, you don't attract people. So that's what Amigos said said is about. We also offer scholarships. It's a great learning experience for somebody who wants to get involved and in know the, our Portuguese culture. Uh, it's a very family-oriented organization. It's not a place where men go to play cards and the wives stay home. That's not what we wanted to do. Uh, never ever focused on that always focused on family and uh, very proud of the work that I started there I was a president for 16 years eight terms um off and on my wife was present for five so the organization is 31 well my wife and I were there for 21 of the 31 wow um, and uh, my oldest daughter is uh, vice president of the general Assembly and right now we're just volunteers uh, when the president I, I kind of act like a consultant for the president when he has uh, something going on he needs my advice about something or an opinion and I help out in the feasts and I'm uh, invited to go there and sing I sing um, so always directly involved uh, our restaurant will do a float for the parade in September um, that's my home uh, we're going we're now preparing for Mardi Gras so I'm gonna rehearse a skit uh, for for our center and uh, Sunday uh, tomorrow we have our first meeting for our next theater I've already produced three operettas and now uh, we we're, we're ready to start the fourth.
0: Absolutely. Folks, we're in studio with the, the director of human resources for the city of East Providence, as well as the founder of Migja Terceda. We're going to take a, uh, Victor Santos, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about um, the community center and um, kind of the events they run and kind of the traditions they are keeping alive. So stick around. We will be right back after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Polo Sarguero Show. We will be here until 5 o'clock this afternoon. Hope everyone's enjoying it thus far. We are in studio with uh, the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence, as well as the founder of uh, Community Center uh, Group, uh, Mija Treseda, uh, Victor Santos. Uh, before the break, we kind of discuss a little bit about uh, Mija Treseda briefly. Um, it started off as a place for people from Treseda to meet. And how many... Initially, when you, you, during your first year, how many members did you initially have versus how many you have well,
1: today? Well, uh, here's what started. We had a committee of—this uh, uh, is how it started. I saw in the Portuguese Times that there were two regional areas of the mainland. They would do get-togethers here. They were from Penalva and Manguald uh, mainland Portugal, and I I was married uh, for three years, and we didn't have any kids, and I'm reading the Portuguese Times, and I says to my wife, you know, we have a lot of people from Terceira around here. Couldn't we do one of these get-togethers? And, uh, it would be nice. I know so many people. So I wrote 90 letters. I, I sent 90 letters to people from Terceira that I knew. Of those 90, 36 came to a meeting on October fifteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, at the UPB Club in Pawtucket, I explained my idea of doing the get together. Of the uh, 36, 18 were nominated to be part of the organizing committee to do the first get-together. We had close to a thousand people at the Lusitania Club. Wow. It was it was packed. It was it was actually kind of illegal with so many people. And I says, wow, this is huge. Now, keep in mind, we had no thought of doing a formal organization, a center, members. That was not my intent. My intent was once a year, do the get-together and call it a day. Well because of that huge impact, people then started saying, Victor, I mean, this is huge. Um, how about if we had members and people would pay dues and that would be a way to contribute to the charity? And this is how it started. Well, this was in January. In December of that same year, we had our first bylaws wow. signed at the Portuguese Social Club at our Christmas party. So for the first five years, we had no clubhouse. We had no headquarters. Meetings would be held in my house. Meetings would be held at the UPB, at the Portuguese Social Club, at the Lusitania Club. We'd we'd borrow clubs to have our meetings. Uh, It was only at that General Assembly in December that we started memberships. And the first year, I think we had, like, 150. At one time, we had over 800 Wow. Members now, one of the reasons why the membership grew so fast was because a portion of the dues now it's forty percent goes directly to help our charity account goes to the charity account which is a nonprofit five hundred one c three. Uh, and then the other 60% goes to help the organization to maintain the building and so forth. So after five years, we inaugurated our first clubhouse in Central Falls in the basement of the old book club, which was off Lonsdale Avenue. And so we used their basement for five years. And then we, in, we bought this uh, current building from the state on a sealed bid for eighty dollars um and it, we spent about 420,000 to fix it all through membership money Wow. and uh, we did most of the work ourselves and uh, we inaugurated the the current center on our 10th anniversary so on October 15th 1998 we inaugurated that was the goal uh we celebrated our 10th anniversary by inaugurating the building we're at now so um Uh, one of the reasons we have a huge membership is because if we help someone in the community, that person may be related to somebody who wants to be a member to kind of give back as a thank you. So we also now, although we have the name Friends of Terceira, uh, we help all the islands. We're not discriminatory. We have people on our board from various islands. Uh, the only reasons why it's still Friends of Terceira and not Friends of the Azores is because it was people from Terceira, like myself, that started it. But uh, we don't discriminate, and I keep saying that if it wasn't for folks from other islands, we wouldn't, we wouldn't exist because uh, um, we depend on people from every community, every island to assist us. And, and in turn, we also support every island with different charities. So we never ask if someone comes to ask for assistance from us. We also do a lot of local charities and a lot of local needs in uh We never ask where you're from, Uh, you know, are you from the Azores? Are your roots Portuguese? We could care less. Uh, So we're very proud of the work. Uh, We we are very proud of the volunteers. We have over 70 volunteers that work there. Um, And we do a pretty good job. So far, so good.
0: Absolutely. And uh, uh, another DJ on this radio, Paul Healy, always told me never keep the best conversations off the radio. (laughs) And so. so uh, we were, during our break, could you tell us a little bit about kind of um, the helping the, the the Azores and the children there uh, in America? Some of the maybe uh, charity events sure. you guys host.
1: So for three years now. Uh, we did it in 2004 it was an idea from my wife when she was president at then 2012 one of my my youngest daughter was the queen Uh, that's a title that we give to a young lady whose parents are involved or they're involved and so they represent the organization for a year Um, and uh, she did that and then about Four years ago, another queen had the same project where we brought 14 orphan children to the United States from the Azores, and we hosted them. We put them in, for example, in 2004, was all girls from the island of Fayal, uh, from uh, St. Anthony's home in Fayal, and uh, so we paired them up with the people here that had girls, Uh, So they would have somebody to play with and talk with. And so we brought them to New York City. We brought them to Boston. Uh, We had trips. We had different organizations host them with dinners and restaurants. They left here. It was around Christmas time, so they left here with extra bags of presents. I mean, we we gave these young girls a, a dream that they'll never forget. Uh, It was also a learning experience uh, for the people who hosted them. So they learned a lot, too, with the girls in their home. They were accompanied by three nuns. Uh, Then in 2012, we brought uh, boys and girls from the island of Terceira, And then, I want to say three years ago, we brought all girls from a home in Lagoa, in San Miguel. So... um, we do fundraising for that. Uh, we get a lot of local restaurants to help us with meals. Uh, we have uh, travel agents to help us with a trip to New York City. I mean, these most of these kids never left the island. They've never been on an airplane. Uh, some of them have parents, but the parents could be drug addicts, could sure. be prostitutes. There's a reason why they're in these homes. And they would have never had an opportunity like this. So we coordinate with the Azores government to try to help with the airfare. And then the rest, we fundraise. And we give these people a little dream, which they go back and they never forget. So um, uh, some, of them, excuse me, some of them actually cried when they were watching the Christmas show at the Radio City Music Hall. But just looking around that beautiful hall and seeing that stage go up and down, it was like they're, they're in another world. And so uh, it's very satisfying. That's just an example of what community Center group Amigsa has done. And I couldn't be prouder of the people that are still there keeping it going and following my footsteps, and I'm very, very proud. And I get very defensive if anybody criticizes Amigsa because I know deep, deep down how much people work, uh, how much they sacrifice their families. To, to work there. Thursdays and Fridays, they run a, a kitchen. It's all volunteers in the bar, it's all volunteers in the kitchen, it's all volunteer waiters, and to fundraise. And I, I know it's hard, because I did it for 16 years, and my wife did it for five. So for 21 years, minimum, we, we were there. That was our life. Uh, this is We put our center before our home. My kids were raised there. My daughters would sleep on the top of the chairs. Um, so we, we value and greatly respect the people that continue our work, our Absolutely. mission.
0: Now, being a part of, obviously, I uh, you know a lot about the Portuguese culture and traditions. What's your favorite part of the Portuguese culture or maybe a specific tradition of the Portuguese that you truly I, enjoy? I think
1: that any Azorean um, from the Azores would, would, would agree that the Holy Spirit, uh, The the things associated with the Holy Spirit feast, I think, is is nice. There's a lot of singing, there's a lot of festive, there's prayer, there's charity. Uh, So I think... Every, all the traditions associated with that are very nice. I love Carnaval. I think Carnaval is, is uh, unfortunately, in this, uh, in this country, it's only two days, Saturday and Sunday. But in Terseda, it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I've actually taken four groups back to Terseda for Mardi Gras. Very festive. It's funny. Uh, people dress up. Uh, costumes, the lyrics, the songs. Uh, I think I love that that uh, time of year too. People now are starting to rehearse their groups, so we'll do that now for the next three months and uh, get in that in that buzz of Mardi Gras. Um, we we come the Azores has a very very all the islands have a very rich culture of music and song, and uh, the folklore of each island is beautiful. Uh, there's not one thing I like better than the other. I think those things that I just mentioned are things that. That I've been involved in and that and I and that I, I totally love.
0: Absolutely. Folks, we are in studio with uh, Victor Santos, who is the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence, as well as the founder of Amiga Terceda. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get back. We'll be down to our last half hour of the show, talk a little bit more about the Portuguese culture, traditions, and then uh, we'll uh, start to wrap everything up. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paulo Sarguero Show. We'll be here until 5 o'clock this afternoon. Today's guest is Victor Santos, who is the Director of Human Resources for the city of East Providence, as well as uh, the founder of Amish de Seda. Uh, one thing that I'm uh, – i always, my parents always tell me I have an old soul, uh, but one of the things I truly enjoy about our Portuguese culture is the uh, jigahad and Zafia, Contaria. Could you tell us a little bit about how did your interests grow in – In these, uh, you know, debate singing, how did it all start off?
1: uh, Well, I have a, um, my father's first cousin was a very uh, famous or well-known, I should say, uh, debate singer. His name was das Bicas. He had the same name as my dad. Uh, The two cousins had the same name, Francisco Ferreira dos Santos. And um, I remember as a as a little boy uh, listening to Kunturia and Jigarada next to my fa- grandfather's store because we were right in the center of the village, so that's where the stage was for the feasts, so I'd listen to the pazines and all that stuff. And so… When I was 15, I was already rhyming, because this is all in verse. Sure. And uh, the debate singing is quite a phenomenon, because you go up there to debate with a guy or a girl, and you don't know what the theme is going to be, and in 20 seconds, you need to respond in verse. Uh, So it has to rhyme, and uh, there is a a little system of how it starts. It starts off with a salutation where you you salute each other, you you salute your audience, and uh, you welcome them, and so forth, and then it starts with 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 something. Uh, I remember one time, about four years ago, doing a debate with Mr. Mario Silva, who since passed away, he was a very, very good debate singer, sang for about 50 years, sang with the oldies. Uh, there were people that today, like Shahua and Tulu, people that uh, weren't, were, are going to go in the history books. These people were phenomenal. These people had four, fourth grade education. Um, and uh, I spoke. I was singing with Mario Silva, and we after the salutation, we couldn't think of a theme. And I says he says to me, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and I'll give you a hand? Well, do you know that we debated for over 40 minutes about the hand? Oh, yeah. yeah, because if you notice, the hand, what do we use the hand for? We use the hand for prayer. We use the hand to work. We use the hand to write. We use the hand to fish. Uh, we use the hand to rob. We use the hand to smack. I mean, so we had so much to talk yeah. about. And it was just sim- simple talk about the hand. Sometimes it gets into politics. I enjoy a serious debate and then when you go into the jigahada, then I like to do funny stuff, talk about something funny. But in the debate I rather talk about debate about something serious or a morale issue or mom or dad or something that happened in politics or um I get into that. In the old days, the debate singing was a form of educating the public on certain themes. Uh, most people did not know the story of saints, for example, Saint Anthony, Saint Joseph, uh, the Queen Elizabeth of Portugal, and so people would do these debates uh, in going those themes. Sometimes they'd talk about history, uh, certain wars, certain kings. And people would be, you know, their, their eyes would be wide open. You can't do that today because the public is different. People are much yeah. more educated. They could kill us about the saints and the church and things like that. So uh, that's changed. But, um, it's, you know, when you go up there, it is a little frightening. It is a little scary because you don't know what you're going to say. It's a gift. Uh, it's a gift that people have from the Holy Spirit. I, I always say I'm just a fax machine. I'm just transmitting. <laughs> uh, somebody upstairs is telling me what to say, uh, but you have 20 seconds to think about what, how you're going to rhyme it. Sure. So it's essentially it's uh, all improv and it's almost, almost like rap.
0: It's almost like a freestyle. Yeah. Like but as rap. almost like a poetry freestyle, as a, yeah. you're not kind of um, going as fast or as hardcore, yeah, I guess yeah, uh, yeah. as uh, the. But rap I would
1: one. I would, uh, I would uh, uh, equate it to a rap. Oh sure, absolutely. Like it rap. is yeah. like rap. Like a rap song.
0: Is the um, who are some of the, the singers um, that, that you looked up to or that you enjoyed or maybe one that
1: Well, I have to say that the most the most popular, I should say the most famous, uh, very hard for somebody to uh, equal, uh, his name was uh, 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 José Souza Brazil, better known as Chahua. He was from the island of Terceira. He was actually born uh, next door to my grandmother's house in the village of Ribeiras in Terceira. Uh, he died in 1992. Uh, late in life, he married uh, another debate singer, uh, Maria Angelina uh, de Souza, uh, but most known as Turlu. She was from the village of San Mateus, St. Matthew, in Terceira. Uh, they always liked each other. They both married different people, and then when they widowed, they married each other. Um, they'll go down in the history as the couple of debate singing. Uh, she's buried in Toronto. She died in Toronto. He died in Terseda. Um, she actually died the day my grandmother died, wow. uh, January seventh, 1987. Um, so I have to say those two were probably my idols. But there was another one, uh, Juan Vital from Terceda from Limiting, who, uh, who was very good. I did not know him. I only hear recordings of him. But he was also very good. And, you know, there's there's tons. Of course, today, the, luckily, uh, in the beginning of the, the year 2000s, 2005, 2006, younger generations started singing. And because we thought this was going to end, we thought, oh, my God, there's nobody coming up in the ranks and this tradition is going to die. Uh, luckily for us, we uh, do have now new kids coming up from different islands that are, are carrying on the tradition. I just uh, sang with a few in the city of Winnipeg in Canada Uh, last uh, two weeks ago um, they had the House of the Azores had their cultural week that week and so they had countryish for three days Uh, there were nine of us there Uh, but in our community here in New England it's kind of dying down uh, the number of folks that are doing this Uh, right now I think there's about eight of us left and we don't see no one stepping up we don't see a young kid Unless they immigrate here from another place, we don't see anyone local carrying this on. I'm the youngest, and I'm 57. Uh, Everyone else is older than me. I'm the only one from Terceda. The other ones are all from uh, San Miguel, the majority, but we do have a couple from Santa Maria. Um, So I don't see a big future other than us bringing them here. Which, which Galito is going to do on December 7th at our anniversary and bringing two kids that never came to the United States to do this, and they're going to be singing at St. Anthony's Hall in Pawtucket on that day.
0: That's amazing. Is there is there a singer where maybe uh, when you started singing that you were like, I can't believe I'm on the same stage? Well, my first,
1: first public appearance was with Vashka Giad, who is the king of debate in Somgiel, and it was in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. I was eighteen years old, was nineteen eighty one and uh uh pardon my French, I peed my pants <laughs> uh i, I was saying, "Oh my God, what am I going to do with this gentleman?" I mean, he was so graceful he he treated me like a son, and uh he didn't hammer me, he didn't insult me uh he helped me along, he knew I was starting, and that I didn't know what the heck I was going to say. And, and I did it. So I'll never forget that first time.
0: Absolutely. And th- there's another um, type of music, and that is the uh, Ajvályša
1: Treseda. Yep. T- is a, a typical uh, song that is a sestila. So it's a, a rhyme of six phrases and then, a, and then a quadruple at the end. And it's comedy. It's comical. Uh, Ajvályš means the old ladies. How they got that name, I don't know. Uh, we usually uh, tend to sing about your grandmother was this and your sure. grandmother was that. So maybe because your grandmother was Velja, was old, maybe that's why they call it Vélez. I, I have no idea. Um, the gentleman who really made Vélez what it is today, big, is uh, João Ángel. Uh, he's still alive. He's 84 years old. He lives in Terceira. Uh, doesn't sing publicly anymore because of his health but he really in the 80s and 90s boy he was the king of village and and, uh, and now what's happening with the vellish is a lot of people are improvising and doing it on the spot you, they used to mem- we used to memorize Velish. we okay. used to write our own Velish and like uh, would memorize them for a show so I knew 10 or 12 Velish and I go do a show I knew which one I was going to sure. say and so forth now a lot of people use village, uh something uh, local or for guys in the audience they'll write a value about you sure. or write a vellish about a ball head head of the guy who's in the front row or you know about the president of the club or use a name of a popular person like trump or yeah the president of this or that so that's changing a little bit where they're using that now but in the old days verses were written and we would memorize the value. yeah so See, we already we knew the punch line and so
0: forth yeah i think that i think that style and i mean you can maybe you feel differently. i feel like that's almost harder it to is do. How
1: not every debate singer uh, Does Velhas. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of good singers. For example, Je Plast, mm-hmm. who is one of the better singers here in New England, a great debate singer, doesn't sing Velhas. Interesting. Uh, Jeff Barbosa doesn't sing Velhas. Uh, Jack Stott doesn't sing Velhas. It's me, Eduardo Papolla, Anton Rezende. Uh, maybe three of us that sing Velish.
0: That's and incredible. So, uh,
1: not everybody does it, folks. We are going to take a quick break, and when we get back, uh,
0: I'll lead in with a song, and then uh, we will start to wrap our conversation up. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paul Segura Show. We are in studio, starting to wrap up our conversation with uh, Mr. Santos, who is the Director of Human Resources for the City of East Providence, as well as the founder of uh, Amigsa Terceda in Pawtucket. Uh, Mr. Santos, so there's a, f- a few events coming up. Um, I was just wondering if you could remind some of our listeners of the events that are coming up, both uh, at Galito and for Amig. I mean, I know uh, there's also uh, a New Year's uh, yeah. Eve uh, event.
1: So, I can start with Amigos Community Center. As you know, every Thursday and Friday their uh, kitchen is open to the public and there's always some entertainment on the Friday night. And uh, their upcoming event will be on the 8th of December, their uh, Christmas breakfast, uh, which goes to our charity fund, where Santa comes and gives gifts to the members' kids. And then uh New Year's Eve is a uh, is a big uh, a big event a formal event. I believe this year's sticker price is eighty dollars, and there's some open bar included in that, and appetizers and a full meal and a band. Very nice time. Um, then at Galito, our, uh, every Saturday night we have a live band there playing uh, Portuguese music every Saturday night. And on Sundays, we have a buffet from 12 to 3, which always includes the Portuguese boiled dinner, like we have in the Azores and Furnace. And on December 7th, we're going to be having our anniversary dinner at St. Anthony's Hall in Pawtucket, St. Anthony's Church Hall, where we're going to be having four debate singers, two young kids coming from the Azores that have never been to the U.S., and that will be with a dinner. So if anyone wants tickets for that and get a cultural experience, uh, there tickets on sale at the restaurant. And then on the Monday night, December 9th, we're going to be doing a goodbye dinner for them at the restaurant, and there will be more debate singing there with two other singers. So those are the upcoming events. I want to take this opportunity to wish everyone a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. Please give thanks for your family, for your jobs, for your health. Uh, that's the most important thing. Let's not lose sight of that and wish everybody a wonderful Christmas. And I want to thank you, Paul, for what you're doing in spreading uh, our culture in this community. And thank you for the invitation, for being here. And I hope I've enlightened some of your listeners with anything that I've said. And I'm always at your disposal, either at our restaurant, at Galito, or at Migs uh, at Seda. So thanks again for inviting me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you. There's uh, two, two last questions I just came up with, okay. I just thought of. And that is, uh, it's kind of putting you on the spot. No problem. But could you do, uh, just to give our listeners an idea of what a quadra sounds like uh, for Gahada if you were to, to do one.
1: Okay. Uh, so I'm going to do uh, a quadra in the debate singing format and I'm going to do a quadra in a desgarrada format. Now, keep in mind, there's no music here, so it's a cappella, okay? Vir aqui foi o primeiro com a minha signatura para honrar o Paulo Salgueiro, um jovem desta cultura. Na na desgarrada, I would say. Este meu Paulo Salgueiro Gosta muito da brincadeira. Este meu Paulo Salgueiro Gosta muito da brincadeira. A rádio foi o primeiro trazer um homem da terceira <laughs> a radio for you primeiro, um homem da terceira <laughs> <How's that>? beautiful <laughs> um,
0: and there was one uh, there's one question we always like to wrap up with and I usually give our guests um, a heads notice for it so my apologies for not but no we'll, problem we always In like HR, <laughs> I get surprises every day uh, the last question we usually like to wrap our show with is if you could talk to anyone from history and ask them one question. And it could be anyone uh, alive uh, that has passed, any anyone, and ask them one question. Who would you want to talk to, and what would you want to ask them? Or you can always do, um, if you're having a dinner, you can invite three people from the history. Who would you want to invite
1: to that dinner? If I, I think I'd rather invite uh three people to dinner since i own a restaurant (laughs) i would love to have a conversation with john f kennedy uh, martin luther king and uh shahua
0: that's a good one (laughs) that's good that would be something Absolutely. Um, so I'd like to thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure. I think we uh, educated the community, as uh, always. This is the goal of our show is to educate, educate our community through interviews with professionals in a specific field. Uh, I like how we covered uh, kind of the Portuguese immigration a little bit, human resources, and obviously uh, the Portuguese culture and uh, some of the wonderful charities that... Um, that exists in our uh, community. So thank you again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I was going to wrap it up for today. I'm going to end with a another song uh, for you guys. Um, I figured, uh, it's one of the songs, it's uh, Carlos Ribeiro in the Português I really, uh, I like that song. So I'm going to uh, end it with that. And we will be back at it again next uh, weekend, folks, That Saturday from three o'clock to five. So thank you again and have a wonderful weekend. All right, all right. We had a nice hour of nice Portuguese music, but I'm uh,
1: this is the warm-up show for Oscar the Cat Rocks. So let's just get ready to rock and roll.
0: Ted Nugent.